Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's Let's ride. Time for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What's going on, everyone? Hope you're doing well out there, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. Well, the lockout is still in full form, and we haven't really had any baseball news of any sorts, especially in Dodgers land, so I got nothing for you guys, but I hope my colleagues David or Jake have something they want to start the show off with, so let me pass it over to David Rosenthal. What's going on? Doing good, Kevin. Uh, obviously not a lot to talk about in current MLB, uh, but as you have mentioned online and stuff, I think we're going to do a little deep dive into Ned Coletti's tenure uh, as a Dodger at the helm of the Dodgers. So I'm excited for that. There's some good moves. There's some terrible moves uh, and a lot of mediocre moves. But I think at the end of this episode, everybody listening is going to be pretty grateful for Andrew Friedman. Oh, I like that. Jake Reiner, what's new with you? I was thinking about all of the uh, different, you know, COVID protocol news storylines we've seen with the Rams and Lakers and kind of, you know, the majority of their team is, is kind of out for uh, COVID protocols. And I was just thinking, what, what if, you know, we were going through a Dodger season like that, where like, you know, all of our players were, were going down left and right. Now, granted, we did have a lot of injuries last year, so it kind of was like that. But I just imagine the three of us freaking out every second that a new player went under the COVID-19 protocols and what that would mean. And it, it's, it's just nuts. So I'm, I'm actually grateful that we have uh, no news to discuss on that front. Um, it is still lockout season, so hopefully these guys can get back in a room or on Zoom or whatever and figure this shit out. 
over this past week, Walker Bueller got married. So congratulations to the Bueller family. A lot of old faces were in the photos, including David Fries, Kike Hernandez, Jock Peterson, among others, some current teammates as well. I thought David Fries retired too soon. I feel like he had maybe one more year left in him. I would yep. have liked to see that. Yep. He would have been a world champion if he had signed on with the Dodgers just one more year. I think they would have kept him too. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see would have wanted to leave anywhere else. I could definitely see that. So yeah, as advertised, we're going to do a blast from the past. This is a Ned Coletti slash Dodgers of the mid to late 2000s to early 2010s, the pre-Andrew Friedman era. So you're going to hear a lot of names that you hadn't thought about in a decade or so and some weird slash brilliant moves that we're going to discuss. So let me set the premise for everyone out here. So 2005 is when I'm going to take you guys back. The Dodgers were coming off an abysmal season. They finished 71 and 91. That's good for fourth place in the NL West. And back then the NL West was just complete trash because in order to win that division, the 82 and 80 Padres were actually the division winner that season which is a big step back given that the Dodgers the previous year in 2004 won the division with 93 wins. Paul DePodesta made some moves, let Adrian Beltre walk, traded Sean Green. Ultimately, the Dodgers had one of their worst finishes in franchise history. So DePodesta was let go. Jim Tracy was the manager of the, at the helm. He, he was fired. If you want to throw any words in there about Jim Tracy real quick, be my guest. Yeah, I mean, I think he was the worst Dodger manager of my entire life. Uh, and that's saying something because Don Mattingly was yeah. atrocious. But I think Jim Tracy takes the cake as being the absolute worst manager the Dodgers have had in my lifetime. I mean, he would just make the absolute worst moves. He looked like he had no idea what he was doing. At least Don Mattingly gave the appearance of looking like he knew what he was doing. I don't agree, but I'll, Out, I'm going to say outwardly, that later. I'm going to say outwardly, that for later. But Jim Tracy, they would pan to him in the dugout, and he'd look like he's with a chicken with his head cut off out there. Like He, he, had, he was out of his league, had no idea what he was doing. Yeah, definitely a, a, a string of sleepy managers for the Dodgers. Uh, Jim Tracy, Grady Little, <laughs> yeah. Joe Torre, Don Mattingly. It's just very, very sleepy era. Jake's jumping ahead here. But uh, anyways, Ned Coletti hired on November 16th, 2005, coming over from the San Francisco Giants, hired as the Dodgers general manager. And the very first move that Ned Coletti does as GM of the Dodgers under the Frank McCourt ownership is hire the next Dodgers manager, Grady Little. They signed him to a two-year deal, and he beat out these candidates, Jim Fergrossi, John McLaren, Manny Acta, and Joel Skinner. Maybe the worst list of candidates I've ever seen on paper I could not even imagine a world where I don't even know who this guy is, but Joel Skinner as the Dodgers manager. That doesn't I sound keep, real. I keep thinking of that Snoop Dogg gif. Who? <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I, I thought Grady Little was a good hire. Um, he had some success in Boston, obviously. Uh, I, I think it was a good hire. I, I, you know, he obviously, I think it what was his, his fatal flaw in Boston was, was taking out Pedro Martinez or leaving no, Pedro leaving Martinez him in. too long. Okay. Yeah. So, that's kind of sealed his fate in Boston. That was actually why he was fired. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, which is seems a little rash, but and then uh, they bring in Terry Francona and win the World Series. Yeah, but I I I think Grady Little was a good hire, but you know, getting fired for one move. I mean, if the Dodgers did that, Dave Roberts would have been gone, you know, years ago, 20, 2017 for sure. Well, the other thing for for Boston, not that we're a Red Sox podcast, is that there was a lot of pressure in Boston because they were spending a lot of money and they kept coming up short to the Yankees. And, you know, they had their hands tied. This clearly it wasn't working with little, so they had to do something else. And obviously it worked out. Do you guys think that that was the best era of Red Sox Yankees, the rivalry of the Red Sox Yankees? That had to have been. In our lifetime. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, they had the whole comeback from three zero, the whole Johnny Damon, you know, flip-flop era. I, I think that was the best era. Yeah, and that 2003, the Aaron Boone home run, yeah. that was great. I mean, anyway. And also you have – oh, wait, that later on was the uh, – well, was that during the the, the pa- Pedro throwing Don Zimmer to the ground? Yeah, that was tight. Yeah. I feel like great, you never see era. that in today's game. Oh, no. I feel like that could never happen, and that makes me sad. So one day later – Coletti is just getting at it. He's working hard. He signs Raphael for call, the shortstop to a three-year contract. I love that move. Resigns Olmedo signs. Hell yeah. The tomato. Hype that up. A few days later, on December 13th, trades for Andre Ethier, who was a nobody at the time, just a prospect trades. Milton Bradley and Antonio Perez. Yep. That turns out to be a brilliant move. A day after the Ethier trade, signs Bill Mueller the third baseman and catcher Sandy Alomar Jr. Uh, a few days later, he signs Nomar Garcia Para to a one-year contract. The day after that, signs Kenny Lofton to the outfield. Two days later, signs Brett Tomko as a starting pitcher. Oof. And then he, Hot Stove is pretty dead quiet for a couple months. But near the end of the offseason, signs Takashi Saito to a minor mm. league deal. And so that's going to be your 2006 offseason for the Dodgers. Uh, keep in mind they had added Jeff Kent, JD Drew, and uh, Derek Lowe. Those were some key moves before Ned Coletti had gotten there. And they draft Clayton Kershaw after an abysmal season. So that's their first round pick. They take Clayton Kershaw pretty high in the draft at seventh overall, which was obviously a franchise altering move for this organization. And we still talk about Kershaw to this day. And that's your 2006 team under Grady Little. Uh, I think they end up being a wild card team. They lose to the New York Mets in the NLDS. I give Ned Coletti a lot of slack and a lot of credit for what he was able to do under Frank McCourt. And the moves that he made, the the cat, he was cash strapped pretty much the entire time he was the GM. And some of the moves that he made were, you know, some were questionable. But Kevin just listed off all of those moves that he made in that offseason. And the only one I really disagreed with was Brett Tomko. And he ended up being awful. Um, but other than those guys, I mean, no Mar Garcia Parra in 2006, comeback player of the year, all star, um, hit 20 home runs, drove in 93 runs. He, it was a, he was a part of that four plus one game was that season. Um, incredible. Uh, incredible you know turnaround from from what happened the season prior yeah all i got to say about that is that is an electric off season i mean you could not come in and do much better than that at all i mean the dodgers were you know clinging to life they needed some new blood uh and that's exactly what he did and and i want to give 
I, I know we're going to get into this like way later on, but Ned Coletti, the Dodgers do not win the World Series in 2020 without Ned Coletti. Straight up, that's a fact. No debating that. And the reason I say that is because he drafted phenomenally. He was one of the best drafters uh, in, in baseball. Overall, obviously, you're not going to hit on all your picks, but when, when you we're going to list the guys he drafted and all of them. Oh, yeah, we are. Are, you know, the cornerstones of that 2020 team is comes from Ned Clay. A lot of it, yes, but also tomato signs. Yeah, hype that. Wow. Tomato, resign the tomato. For those guys that don't know, Olmedo signs was that dude off the bench. I don't think uh, since Dave Hansen, the Dodgers, you know, that he was the, I think he was even better than Dave Hansen. I don't know, but. Omedo signs was that guy and it felt like every time in a clutch spot off the bench, the tomato was coming through. That's the thing. Like I didn't even go to the deadline of what he did in 2006. He, the the thing about Omedo signs is he kind of sucked, but like out of, at a pinch hit role, he would always come in the clutch. So it's like basically Bartolo Cologne in an offensive form who would hit clutch home runs. But when he wasn't doing that, he was garbage. What happened at the deadline? So this is what, yeah, so this is what he did around the month of July. Traded for backup catcher Toby Hall and Mark Hendrickson for Diono Navarro. That move didn't really pan out. Traded Odalis Perez, who was really washed at this point, for Elmer Descends. Not really a big impact move either. Acquired Wilson Betamy for Willie Ibar. Ibar was supposed to be an up-and-coming player. Sneaky some- good move, though. Had yep. some personal issues. Betamy panned out for that season, but what we'll find out the next year is he's actually trash. I will say that the that Paul De Podesta move of not getting Adrian Beltre back set off a just horrendous line of terrible Dodgers third baseman. Wilson Betamy actually was pretty decent, but man, they couldn't they couldn't make anything stick over there at third. Not until uh, Justin Turner. Yeah. Also acquired on deadline day, Greg Maddox for Cesar Asturias, who's bad. R.I.P. <laughs> and I, then this, another I, bad move for the uh, the late Julio Lugo. And they ex- did an exchange for Joel Guzman, who was supposed to be one of the Dodgers' top prospects and was actually really bad. Wait, Cesar Asturias isn't dead, right? No, no, I was okay. just saying. Uh, I, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted no, to make sure. I, I was... He's alive and well. Okay. And he has, uh, I think he has some sort of like baseball academy with, uh, with, with Miser. Awesome. Yeah. yeah happy, so, happy to hear that. So you guys brought up some good points. Like Ned Coletti was working with almost nothing. I mean, their farm system was pretty bad. Like they had some guys way down below like Matt Kemp, but he was nowhere near ready at this point in time. And then, um, 2005 was just it was a wasteland because we didn't get anything good out of that season like there weren't even any up-and-coming rookies where it's like okay at least they got that experience under their belt like we had nothing to look forward to because there was just no like ready talent and going from 05 to 06 so this was almost starting from scratch like i mentioned they had kent and jd drew but that was about it and Derek lowe and brad penny but that's pretty much the core of that team everyone else was awful like yeah. Also, wasn't Oscar that Robles. wasn't that uh, oh god, Oscar Robles, wasn't that the first year of Russell Martin? So that was an exciting time. I remember when he burst on the scene; it was so cool because when we when we traded away Paul Laduca, that I was crushed. 
And then once, and then, and then Russell Martin came up and he became the Dodgers catcher for a long time. And it was, it was an incredible, uh, credible rookie campaign if, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So the second year now under Ned, Ned Coletti's tenure, it's, it's not going to be a good off season for him. And I'll tell you why. First move he makes is he signs Juan Pierre to a five-year deal. Bad contracts, contrary to what Jake believes. I like Juan Pierre. I think that was it a was good... a bad contract for the production that he provided, but I did not dislike that move. I liked Juan Pierre. Having him and for call at the top of the lineup was electric. Yep, agreed. Next up, gives a three-year contract to Jason Schmidt. Oh, that's probably his worst free agent contract. 100%. It's got to be. It's second worst. Uh, I'll get to that in just a moment, actually. Luis Gonzalez signs him to a one-year deal. That did not pan out. Oh, it didn't work out, but also, I remember at the time when he signed Luis Gonzalez, I kind of was hyped for that. Like, I, <laughs> I grew up watching Luis Gonzalez, and I, I don't know why, but I loved that 2001 Diamondbacks team that won the World Series. For whatever reason, I was just rooting so hard for them because I guess, I don't know, the Yankees' evil empire. Um, so I was, I was uh, really excited when we got Gonzalez. You're just a Kurt Schilling fan, huh, Jake? Huge, huge. Yeah. <laughs> he can do so, nothing yeah. wrong in my eyes. <laughs> and so, yeah, here's the Dodger season, 2007. Jason Schmidt gets injured like five starts in. The team just doesn't have any consistency. They miss the playoffs. And I can't remember if Grady Little was fired or just not renewed because I said he'd signed to a two-year contract. So I guess they just parted ways? I think so. But I will say this about Jason Schmidt. Three years, $47 million. He only made 10 starts with the Dodgers and an ERA of 6.02. So not only was he never healthy, but when he was healthy, he was terrible. I remember they, I went to a game and they did like a giveaway of his jersey or a t-shirt jersey. And like, I remember like it was the most useless thing of all time. But also, don't you remember? I mean, when, when we got him, you guys, I mean, weren't you excited? I was. Oh, yeah, he was great. No, he was already past his prime at that point. That's kind of what Ned Coletti did, though, with his free agent signings. Well, we're gonna get, yeah, well, we're going to get to that trend. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, carry on. So, yeah, not a good year. But the first move that the Dodgers are going to make now in that 2008 offseason, and I don't think there was an interview process. I think this just kind of happened out of nowhere. They announced that Joe Torre is now the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I was pumped for that. I was, yeah, I was very pumped too. I remember the billboard, I think it said, welcome Joe. Yep, I remember that too. I was like, I we got the guy from the Yankees. He was just so old at that point. It was just, oh my God, his walk to the mound took, took 30 minutes. He's <laughs> a robot. I know. <laughs> And then, you, and then you, now you got Tony Larusso who's managing at 110 years <laughs> yeah, old. But he's still running out there. Yeah, he is. He's running. So the first move that they make now under the Joe Torre regime is they give Andrew Jones a two-year, $36 million deal. And that, in my opinion, is the worst contract that Ned Coletti is going to hand out. Because not only was Andrew Jones bad at this point, he was coming off a season where I think he hit 220. He's going to show up to Dodgers camp like 50 pounds overweight. I'll say this about Andrew Jones. He played 75 games. Jason Schmidt only made 10 starts. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, mean that, that's almost comparable. 
maybe, but to me, Jason Schmidt was the, was the worst one. I, the, I agree. But if you had to compare that, I mean, they were both terrible. They're, they're, the, they're the offensive and, and, and pitching Jones equivalent is, of each other. Andrew Jones is playing every day with just how bad he was. It's crazy that like that Jason Schmidt contract, what was it like three for 40 something you said? Three for 47. Was like regarded as like a huge deal back then. It was. You know, and now it's like you got guys getting, you know, a hundred million and that's not even close to the the, the most. Because if I remember correctly, that was the same off season that Barry Zito signed with the Giants. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge contract. Uh, Andrew Jones, uh, I will always f- remember this this stat line for him as a Dodger. He only played one of those two years uh, with with LA, but he batted 158 with three home runs and 14 RBIs. He basically got paid a million dollars per RBI. It's awful. That's so bad. This was a pretty good move. They add Hareki Kuroda to the starting rotation. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> did I did I butcher that? Hiroki Kuroda. There yeah. you go. There it is. Sorry. Add him to the starting rotation. And the Dodgers are going in with a pretty solid core. Matt Kemp at this point has some major league experience. Andre Ethier has some major league experience. Russell Martin, as you mentioned, has major league experience. But there's definitely some flaws. And a lot of that stems on Andrew Jones not being that the not being the cornerstone in the outfield like they signed him to, which is why the Dodgers get off to a kind of a lackadaisical start they're like in it but they're not really running away with the division and that's when july comes the first big move because like jake mentioned a string of just no third baseman they trade carlos santana who's a catcher for casey blake loved it big loved impact. casey blake yep what a solid citizen just a, just an everyday guy had pop decent glove was in there producing um, just a, just a great guy to have, like sort of like your, your modern day, AJ Pollock, you know, just a, just a solid guy to have on the team. It was a good trade for what they needed. Obviously Carlos Santana turned out to be a very good, you know, all-star first baseman, but you know, that's what it's going to take to get a guy like Casey Blake, who's going to produce pretty much every day. Very underrated defender as well. And then the big move happens. Who, who could have saw it coming entering the season but the, one of the biggest blockbuster ever to occur in Dodgers history, all it took was Andy LaRoche and I and some other random dude, but they get Manny Ramirez from the Boston Red Sox. I have to say, and, and again, the Dodgers did win a World Series in 2020, so I think the Mookie Betts trade is better than this Manny Ramirez trade, but second or first best trade in Dodgers history. Was was Ned Coletti not only getting Manny Ramirez, but giving up basically nothing and not having to pay him? Yeah, the, yeah. It was I mean, a weird move. That's it's- the one thing that I that I give a lot of credit to Ned Coletti was his ability to maneuver under a cash strapped McCourt ownership. Was going through a divorce. The whole thing was just a catastrophe. And meanwhile, Ned Coletti was still tasked with putting a winning product on the field. And he, and he swings a deal for Manny Ramirez. Wow. In 53 games in that 2008 season for the Dodgers, Ramirez hit 396, 49 on base, 743 slugging with 50, or 17 home runs and 53 RBIs. So what a beast. What a beast. Got the Manny Wood. 
you know, just the buzz in the stadium, you know, yeah. I'm sure you guys went to a few of those games. It was just yep. absolutely electric in the stadium. Nothing like I've ever felt before. Yeah, absolutely. And what we end up finding later in Ned Coletti's book that he put out is that they are going to acquire CC Sabathia from the Indians in that Casey Blake deal, but McCourt vetoed it because he didn't want to pay CC who I believe was in a contract year anyways, goes on to sign with the Yankees before the 09 season. And then he wins a world series in New York. But don't forget he, the, what, don't forget what he did with the Brewers. And in, in that's 08. what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, imagine that guy. I mean, the, yeah, the Dodgers exactly. would, would have won a world series. Definitely. I, I think they would have they been beat right the Phillies. There. I think they beat the Phillies with CC. I think so too. It would have been pretty close. But God, yeah, Frank McCourt was an that, asshole. That was the year Cole Hamels just absolutely shut us down. Won the NLCS MVP. Didn't really contain Manny Ramirez, but everyone else on the Dodgers was kind of a no-show. And that's when uh, the bullpen broke down and Corey Wade gave up some runs and it set up the Jonathan Broxton to Matt Stair. Uh, eighth inning, devastating home run. Deep into the night. <laughs> yep. The ball still hasn't landed. But even though the Dodgers lost the NLCS that year, I think rolling into 2009, there was a lot of optimism with this team because we hadn't really seen the team ever that close to a World Series in our lifetime. And, you know, the Dodgers made it made it happen. They re-signed Manny Ramirez, I believe, to a two-year contract. They add the O-Dog, Orlando Hudson, to play second base. Um, and, yeah, that, it was a pretty quiet offseason. I think it was mostly just Ned keeping the same core intact so that they could try to win the division in 09 and hopefully take down the Phillies and whoever else to win the world series in 2009. So this team, I remember Andre Ethier just getting a lot of walk-offs that season. I believe they coined him captain clutch. He had like a Dodgers record six walk-offs, I think in that season. Pretty, pretty crazy deadline. Not nothing too wild. They just try to shore up the bullpen. They add George Sherrill, who was actually pretty solid during the regular season until he wasn't yeah that that's going to be a thing but yeah in 09 he was pretty locked down until the postseason they pick up Roni Belliard who was pretty hot with the Dodgers ends up beating out Orlando Hudson down the stretch even though the O-Dog was an all-star for the Dodgers in 2009 Belliard ends up taking the reins at second base for call was having a great season but he kept getting hurt with injuries and I want to say, was that the year Manny Ramirez got suspended 50 games for performance-enhancing drugs, too? Yeah, so that, was, that killed us. So there, mm-hmm. was definitely, there was definitely some uh, adversity that season. And despite all that, the Dodgers still finished with the best record in the National League. And Clayton Kershaw, at this point, was established, establishing himself as a Major League starter, would make some postseason starts against the Phillies. But there was just this – it was game one, NLCS – uh, they were at Dodger Stadium, and Kershaw was pitching with lights out till the fifth inning, and then the Phillies rally against him. I think they put up a four or five run spot against him, and it's heartbreaking to bring up the, the moment when Jonathan Broxton has a has a lead in Philadelphia, two outs, gives up a walk off two run double to Jimmy Rollins, and the Phillies win game game four to put the Phillies up three one, and they end up beating us in five. Brutal, just brutal, uh, Jonathan Broxton. You talk about the string of Dodgers lockdown relievers, um, starting with Eric Gagne, you go to Takashi Saito, 
And Jonathan Broxton was that guy a little bit, not, not completely at the level of, of Saito or Gagne, but Broxton just, just couldn't, just couldn't do it. Just couldn't get it done. And that, that just killed us. Yeah. I, I try not to talk about that era too much. The Phillies playoffs. I just can't do it. It sucks because those, those teams were really good teams yeah. and they were world series caliber teams. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it just sucks. Cause like you think about what could have happened if Manny Ramirez doesn't get popped for performance enhancing drugs, what happens? Cause I, cause I remember when he got suspended for 50 games, then he came back and he just, it just wasn't the same kind of spark yeah. that he had when he first came, when he first came over. Um, and he never really was able to regain that, even though he, he did perform fairly well in the postseason. It just, it just didn't have that, that oomph that it, that it used to have. Well, yeah, he's not taking steroids anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I also just remember in 2009, Chad Billingsley got off to like a world-class start in the first half. I know he was an all-star. I can't remember if he started the all-star game or not, but then he had just an awful second half and it carried over into the playoffs and he just was not reliable anymore. But that first half Billingsley was, it was a really good season. I, I loved him. I know you guys like Chad Billingsley. He fucking drove me crazy. I, I think he doesn't get enough respect for being so consistent and, you know, basically one of the only good pitchers we had in that whole era, obviously with a couple exceptions like Kershaw and Penny and, and uh, a couple other guys, but Billingsley, yeah, I, I loved Chad Billingsley. Loved? Loved. Was in love. I was in love with him. How? He was just great. He was just Chad Billingsley. Chad Billingsley. Chad Billingsley is a guy that that I could see Kevin loving, but you, it would drive you crazy just knowing what I know about you. So this is this is a very no, much no, no. He would he would go out there and he's gonna pitch six innings or seven innings, no matter what. He was a horse, no baby, no babying (laughs) from him. He could just go out there and pitch, and I liked him. Yeah, his first half in a oh. He threw like a hundred pitches by the fifth inning. It was it was brutal. It didn't matter. Then he'll throw 120 and get through six innings. No problem. Brutal. Oh nine, first half, nine and four with a 338 ERA. Second half, three and seven with a 520 ERA, a whip of almost one and a half. So it got bad, and he never really recovered from there. But anyways, moving on. Heartbreaking, lose back to back. I remember watching uh, Sunday night baseball or something in the offseason, and John Cruck. He was doing out like Christmas gifts and he gave the Dodgers a Christmas gift that they were going to finally topple the Phillies in 2010. That ends up not being the case because the Dodgers are actually kind of mediocre in 2010. They, yeah. they missed the playoffs. Joe Torre, he retires after that season. That Dodgers team just couldn't stay healthy. There were financial strains beginning to take a toll on the Dodgers. They put Manny Ramirez on waivers. He is claimed by the White Sox. And that's the end of Mannywood in Los Angeles. And Don Mattingly, I don't think they even interviewed anyone. They just appointed Don Mattingly as the next manager of the Dodgers. Can I say something about 2010 real quick? Yep. So 2010 was the only losing season under Ned Coletti. The Dodgers were 80 and 82 that year in 2010. But weirdly, they won the tops organization of the year that season, which I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me, but that's that's what happened. Yeah, you mentioned that, that I do remember 
Ned Coletti may have won multiple accolades about being one of the top organizations to work for. So the culture that he set, I think this is more HR related. Like it was always a positive experience to be working in-house for the Dodgers. So yeah, 2010 happens. And then 2011 happens. Uh, We actually had a question from Phil, friend of the show. You want to know what what's up with Ned Coletti's string of signing washed Angels players? And this is where it kind of begins. Garrett Anderson, 2010. Adam Kennedy, 2011. Bobby Abreu, 2012. Sean Figgins, who I don't think even makes the team in 2014. And uh, Dan Heron was another one I, I noticed as well in 2014. Yeah, so what I mentioned earlier, Ned Coletti didn't quite get the concept of aging. He kind of just found these players who were good at one point and kind of just expected them to be good because they were good in the past. You see that a lot with Ned Coletti's tenure. Basically everyone, Kevin just said, tons of guys in the past. He would, he would see a guy put up one, two good seasons and be like, yep, let's get him aboard. He's done that. He can do it again. And didn't really quite get that. You kind of tend to get worse when you get older. He traded for Greg Maddox twice. (laughs) Here's the thing though. I feel like that was sort of like the old thinking of general managers back in that era where you saw guys in their early 30, early to mid thirties, getting big long-term contracts, or at least, you know, um, longer than they should have gotten. And then the conversation sort of shifted with, you know, Billy Bean and Andrew Friedman and the guys that were working for organizations that had way less money than the Dodgers and trying to, you know, find guys off the scrap heap, but also not giving out huge fat contracts to guys that were on the wrong side of 30 wrong side of, you know, 35 and that, and that sort of thing. So Ned Coletti was kind of like that last era of where you saw guys that like Jason Schmidt, who had decent years leading up to his big, you know, three year, $47 million deal. And of course, you know, it's not because of his, you know, it's not all because of his age, why that contract didn't work out. He, he had a bunch of injury things that I feel like Ned Coletti should have known about given the fact that he worked for the giants for all those years. Um, But yeah, that was sort of the last kind of like of that era of, of baseball to where now it's all focused on age and not giving out long-term contracts um, to, to guys that just can't hack it anymore. Yep. Very well said. So this is the part of the Chronicles where I'm coining it the dark ages, because this is where things start to just go to shit. The divorce stuff with uh, Frank McCourt is now public. Obviously the payroll starts to take a toll. They're cutting expenses. The Giants fan gets beat up in the parking lot. That's a bad look on all Dodgers fans. And David said that Coletti was good at drafting, but I'm about to read these names off in order of why maybe Ned Coletti wasn't, shouldn't get as much credit as he deserves. Oh no, I'm going to rebut this no matter who you say. All right, here we go. In 2007, 20th overall, he drafts a pitcher, Chris Withrow. 2008, 15th overall, he drafts a pitcher, Ethan Martin. Now he's going to get a good, a couple good gems in that little string he gets nathan eovaldi and d gordon those guys work out but eovaldi's not going to last long uh we'll get to that later there's a big move that comes down the line 2009 they don't have a first round pick but they do have a compensatory pick 36 overall they draft a pitcher aaron miller i have never even heard of him 2010 
2010, 28th overall. They draft Zach Lee, another catastrophic bust. Was Andrew it though? Fre- was it though? Because Andrew what did he Fre- turn into? Andrew Friedman is going to be the reason it works out for us, not Ned Coletti. Well, who drafted? But him? this draft does have some redemption because in the 11th round they draft this guy named Jock Peterson, <laughs> and in the 20th round they draft Jarrell Cotton, who becomes a trade chip at least. No one else is worth mentioning though in that draft class. 2011, they draft another pitcher. They draft Chris Reed. And that was 16th overall. Two picks later, Sonny Gray is drafted. Imagine if they had gone with Sonny Gray over Chris Reed. 2012, they finally decide to not take a pitcher. And you want to know who they draft? A shortstop, Corey Seager. There you go. They finally hit five years later. But yes, the Dodgers are bad at this point. So they are able to go up a little higher in the draft. Well, what you you missed Kershaw? Yeah, I, mean, I know we talked about say, that. Bro. I mentioned Kershaw earlier. The first draft Ned Coletti was a part of, his literal first pick, is arguably the best Dodger in Dodgers history, Clayton Kershaw. I so, mentioned that though, and I don't know if that was really Coletti. That might have been uh, Logan White. Well, who's supervising it? It's under Ned Coletti. So, I mean, you could say the same for Andrew Friedman. Was it Andrew Friedman or was it the guys below him? Friedman gets all the credit. Coletti's going to get all the credit too. Well, just because you draft one superstar, I don't think that makes up for all these scrubs that you're going to draft. Well, you just mentioned Corey Seager, Jock Peterson, D. Gordon. There's I mean, also those- two guys you haven't mentioned yet. I'm Yeah, I'm going to get there. Okay, cool. We have like a 30% success rate. I don't know if that's anything to write home about just yet. But anyways, in that same draft class <laughs> with Corey Seager, the second round, they draft Paco Rodriguez, ends up being a solid lefty reliever. In the fifth round, they draft Ross Stripling. So there you go. That's something to work with. But back to 2013, they draft another pitcher. This one does not work out as well. Chris Anderson. But at least in the fourth round, they hit a big one. Cody Bellinger. There you go. There's another one. That's about it for that draft class. In 2014, they go back to another pitcher in the first round, Grant Holmes. Who who could they have had about two or three picks later? Third baseman named Matt Chapman. But at least in the second round, they do hit on someone good, Alex Verdugo. But I will say, but. While he's not hitting in the draft, Ned Coletti might be an expert in international scouting because during the 2012, sometime in 2012, he takes a trip to Mexico. He doesn't find one player. He finds two players. And those guys end up being Yasiel Puig and Julio Urias. Puig was already kind of a name at this point, but Urias, uh, Coletti had uh, Fernando Valenzuela and I believe someone else draw this to his attention. Mike Brito. They sign a 15-year-old pitcher, Julio Urias. That's all Mike Brito right there. I got to say, I've been listening to you pretty intently, Kevin, and Ned Coletti seems elite to me at not only (laughs) drafting players, but finding guys on the international market. I mean, those are some heavy hitter names and what David mentioned before. Those guys were all over that 2020 roster. They literally won them the World Series. Seager, Urias, Kershaw, Bellinger. Did Friedman did Friedman draft Walker Bueller? Yep, that was like okay. his first pick. I want to get back into this. I'm gonna agree that Ned Coletti, <laughs> his draft, some of his draft moves have a big impact on what the Dodgers 
eventual World Series foundation end up being? But tell me, from 2010 to, or even 2008 to 2013, besides Yasiel Puig, give me one impact rookie that the Dodgers really had in that span. Well, I mean, it takes a while to build a foundation. Uh, You know, it's not everybody can draft phenomenally. Uh, you know, not so, everyone can come out and have success so, that Andrew why, Friedman did. Well, that's why I have a I have a problem with elite because Andrew Friedman to me is elite at drafting. Walker Buehler, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, it goes Tony down the pipe. Gonsolin, man, I mean, geez, look at look at Coletti's top guys. I mean, Coletti's top guys outdo Friedman's pound for pound easily. No debate. Uh, I'm with I, you on that. I Walker Buehler is a better postseason pitcher than anyone Coletti's ever drafted. I mean, Walker Buehler's a better postseason pitcher than pretty much got, anyone on the planet. They got him late. Kershaw, at least, you know, that's – that's. I know, obviously, he wasn't first overall, but at least he was still in the top ten, so, like, there was pedigree there. To get Bellinger, Walker, fourth round, third round, whatever it was. I mean, that's yes. an MVP. That's an NLCS MVP. That's a postseason hero. I mean – So, he hits his stride later in his tenure. I don't, maybe they changed the scouting guys. Because something does turn around near the end. But unfortunately for Ned Coletti, he's not going to get to see these guys make it to the big leagues under his tenure because he's gone by then. So, yes, I will agree near the end, Coletti really does step it up. But in that first half, all those guys from Chris Withrow down to Zach Lee, it was pretty bad. And the Dodgers are going to feel the effects of that because – other than you think, if I'm if I'm the Anaheim Angels, I'm sitting there. I'd take those. I'd take Ned Coletti any day of the week to fix well, yeah. my team. Well, I, I'm not saying Coletti is a bad GM. That that's not. No, I'm just saying that I feel I I just feel like it's being undersold, or at least a little, maybe a little too nitpicky in in his in his drafting, given given all the players we just mentioned. Okay, well, ultimately, we don't get a World Series under the Ned Coletti tenure. So he wasn't perfect and he was good, but, you know, he was not. He was not ultimately what we were looking for. And that's when we get into 2011 because there was really nothing that you can take away with this season other than Clayton Kershaw wins a Cy Young Award and Matt Kemp should have won MVP. That is, that's yeah. how I sum up that year. That's pretty good. Yep. 2012, the first half sucks once again, but Bud Selig, God bless him, kicks Frank McCourt to the curb, forces him to sell the Dodgers, and that's when the Guggenheims take over midseason, and finally Ned Coletti can spend once again, and he, he does it instantly. He gets Hanley Ramirez from the Marlins for Nathan Eovaldi. He acquires Brandon League, who was actually a shutdown reliever in 2012, Acquires Shane Victorino, who sucked, but at least they, they made that effort. And then after the deadline, they make a big splash. And I mean huge. They acquire Adrian Gonzalez, Carlos or Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett, Nick Punto for James Loney, Webster, and DeJesus. Literally nothing. That was a great trade. That was his second best trade behind the Manny Ramirez one, where he gets Adrian Gonzalez and... Adrian I, Gonzalez. I would disagree with that. I think Hanley Ramirez was a better trade pickup. Than Adrian, than the Adrian Gonzalez one? Yes, because the amount of dead money that we have to end up picking up because Carl Crawford sucks the second half of his tenure. 
Josh Beckett constantly hurt. The only actual good piece out of this was picking up Adrian Gonzalez. Well, I think picking up Adrian Gonzalez turned this franchise around. And yeah. and he he provided not only the impact bat that we were looking for. I'm not taking anything away from Hanley because Hanley was great. But you'd look at the impact that Adrian Gonzalez had, not only driving in runs, a gold gold glove caliber first base, and just a leader in the clubhouse. He was the leader of, of those teams. And so you look at all of that, and it, his, you know, his value is priceless. I agree. Adrian Gonzalez was a culture changer. Uh, not only did he contribute tremendously on the field, all-star level, 100 RBI guy, but he changed the culture of the Dodgers. I mean, I feel like they didn't really have an identity for a lot of these years. And Adrian Gonzalez came in, mentored the young guys, was a proven winner, knew what it took to win in the major leagues. And I think that that carried over to a lot of these young guys. And I think that shaped the organization. And also the transition from Adrian Gonzalez to Cody Bellinger was like seamless as can be. It was like you, we, we got, we got Gonzalez to the point where it was almost really bad. It almost got to that point, but here you have Cody Bellinger coming in, winning rookie of the year. And it almost was like, it was, it was meant to be. Yep. Unfortunately, the Dodgers end up missing the playoffs by a game or two short of the wild card in 2012. But at least there's optimism going into the next season because they finally have financial flexibility once again. And one of my favorite moves that Ned Coletti does, he signs Zach Granke to a five-year deal, finally has that big arm to compliment Clayton Kershaw. They had J.P. Howell to the bullpen. And this 2013 team's ready to fight. Unfortunately, that's not the case because they actually start the first half of 2013 very slow. But... This is when the Yasiel Puig movement comes into effect. They call him up. And that was basically the catalyst that this team needed because once he got called up, there was no stopping this Dodgers team besides a broken rib. Yeah. Bringing up Yasiel Puig, I I remember watching him in spring training um, before that 2013 season. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is a special player. And when he first came up, it was lightning in a bottle. I mean, just the excitement that he brought, the athleticism that he showed, not only with the bat, but with that insane arm. Um, it's just kind of uh, unfortunate in terms of what happened with him in the clubhouse and, you know, showing up late to the field and, you know, getting into fights with Zach Greinke and all of that stuff was just bad. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, the, the circumstances that led him to the United States was a rough one. And it just he never fully understood how to um, adapt. Well and then said. Dodgers losing the NLCS to the Cardinals. Everyone knows the broken rib at this point. In my opinion, that is what cost them the World Series. If Hanley yep. Ramirez isn't plunked by Joe Kelly, Dodgers wipe the floor with this Cardinals team and they go on to win it all. I agree. I mean, Hanley Ramirez was tearing it up at that point and to lose him 400 that season. Remarkably, they didn't, he kept playing, didn't he? 
Yeah, it, it, but it just wasn't the same. Yeah, he, he, he had to come out miss, of some games. It was bad. Yeah, he missed a game or two, and yeah, he got taken out early. Just yeah, the damage was done. And then 2014, what does what does Ned Coletti do? Makes a franchise-altering move when Tim Wallach refers him to go to a California State University Fullerton game, and that's when they meet Justin Turner. They sign him to a minor league deal or an invite to spring training. He makes the opening day roster. He starts at second base that game. Uh, other moves notable, signed the washed Dan Heron. They signed Brian Wilson, who was actually good in 2013 for the Dodgers, pitched a few games. They gave him like $10 million. Not a good move. They give Chris Perez a lot of money to be in the bullpen. Not a good move. Ultimately, this Dodgers bullpen is a disaster other than Kenley Jansen and JP Howell. And this 2014 teams, you know, it's fun to watch. They have the Wait a bubbles. second. Did he draft? Did he draft Kenley Jansen? No. He was signed. Kenley Jansen was signed, I believe, in 2004. Uh, but he did convert to a pitcher under Ned Coletti. Obviously, okay. Kenley, we know Kenley Jansen was signed as a catcher. So I, I don't think Ned Coletti was the one. Well, he had his fingerprints on it. So we'll see. <laughs> Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I know Dan Heron wasn't, wasn't all world, but was he really that bad? I remember him pretty being, bad. okay. I remember him being okay. He had they some, couldn't... he had some okay starts, but back then the velocity for him just completely tanked and it was, it was bad at, at points. Yeah. He threw like, I'm pretty sure his yeah, Twitter that's, hits. That's, yeah, that's his handle. Yeah. Yeah. He was proud of this throwing 88 and they, uh, can we go back a second? Cause I feel like we should talk about Justin Turner. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Because Justin Turner, again, another roster altering Um, move that Ned Coletti made. And it didn't, it, it, it was a weird, it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't really make any sort of noise when it was done because it was, he signed him to a minor league deal. And then he, didn't he make the, he made the club out of spring training. You mentioned he, you said he started on opening day in, in 2014 in Australia. And then, yeah, that was a weird one. That, yeah, I remember yeah, that because Kershaw, that? Kershaw got hurt. I forgot about that entirely. What a weird thing to do. Weird, very weird. Yeah, let's never do that again. But anyway, Justin Turner, um, first of all, becomes he first became like a really good bench player, and then basically played himself into the starting lineup and became a third baseman and basically stuck around for until now. Yes, he did. Unfortunately, though, in, t- in 2014, I've brought it up a few times before on the show, Don Mattingly just did not see that in him because I think he recorded two at-bats in the NLDS despite hitting 340 with a 404 on base and 897 OPS, and that included uh, just seven home runs. But regardless, the 340 batting average, when you're an old-school like old school guy like Don Mattingly – when you have Juan Uribe, who is at this point really faltering. I know he was a great clubhouse guy, but how do you go with him over Justin Turner, who was just an automatic hit? I feel like a lot of people have some uh, revisionist history when they think about Juan Uribe and they think they about, do. they think about that home run in 2013 in the yep. NLDS, which I was there for, but, and it was great. But the first couple seasons under Juan Uribe with Juan Uribe was, Ooh, that was bad. Yeah. That was, that was something I actually didn't bring up how bad that signing was the first couple of years. It was, it was a really bad signing because he, 
because it it he came off a pretty decent season, a actually really good season in San Francisco. And then they signed him yeah. and it just was really and it took him it was only until 2013 did it really did it really, you know, pay off in any sense. Yeah, there was there were some other moves, you know, there's just so many. It's like a decade's worth. I can't bring them all, but I remember he acquired Ted Lilly, that was kind of a bust. God, he acquired so many like formerly good players who weren't good when we got him. It's insane. Yeah, Ned Coletti didn't he didn't really have a good grasp glossed, on on the bullpen. I glossed over the Bobby Abreu acquisition who was like a home run derby king and then came to the Dodgers and was just dreadful. Crazy. Yeah. It's like these players would come to the Dodgers to die in a <laughs> retirement home. But yes, yes, let's get let's get into what what really did Ned Coletti in the bullpen, Jake just said it. This team's bullpen in 2014, like the roster in terms of starting pitching and offense was there. But when you get to the seventh inning and on, um, that bridge to Kenley Jansen was just a death trap because almost any guy you threw out there was going to blow the game. Kershaw had to go seven, eight innings, sometimes nine innings because the bullpen was just that dreadful. And that forced Don Mattingly to really overwork him and that's what caught up to Clayton Kershaw in the postseason, in my opinion. There was just too many innings on him. He ran too out many. of gas. They were throwing him on three days rest at times. And at this point, the damage was done. Coletti, what a lot of people say, what really was well, his downfall is he did not pursue any game-changing relievers during the deadline. And they kind of just crossed their hearts and hoped to die with what they had. And it it really just imploded against the Cardinals. Yeah. I mean, it's just unfortunate um, that even, even though the Dodgers didn't have the best bullpen or even that great of a bullpen, um, you know, so I, I sort of, uh, you know, you, you can cut Don Madden a little slack there for wanting to stick with Kershaw, but I still fault him majorly. I don't care how bad the bullpen is. You got to recognize when your guy just doesn't have it um, and get him out of there. Um, because there are too many times I'd rather die with a fresh reliever on the mound than, than, than die with someone that just clearly does not have it. And is getting hit. Hard. Yeah, I'll never forgive Don Mattingly for, for sending Kershaw out there to die time and time again. I mean, if there was a jail for baseball managers and competence, Don Mattingly would be serving a life sentence. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was bad. Uh, the narrative still follows Kershaw. Uh, ignorant fans will always bring it up. And uh, like Jake said, no, no matter how bad the bullpen has been, you still employ those guys and they still have to do a job. And if you're going to keep them on the roster, you got to use them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely in game one. And they did pull Kershaw a batter too, too late. And then Pedro Baez served up like a three-run cookie to Matt Holiday, which almost put the game out of reach. I know Aegon kind of fought back, but we were just one run shy. But the Matt Adams home run, that one, I don't think you can fault Don Mattingly whatsoever. Kershaw no, was, because, yeah, Kershaw was dealing up into that point. Yeah. and That's on that's on Kershaw. Yeah, yeah. It was like two kind of lucky base hits, and then Kershaw just throws a, a, a hanging curveball to Matt Adams and goes over the wall. It's crazy, though, because it felt, it felt like for a good stretch there, Kershaw, whenever he would be – dealing and then once he got to the seventh it would just be like what happened the wheels would come off after that the Dodgers losing the NLDS 
And Ned Coletti is not fired, but reassigned as a special advisor or something. Basically, he just works on TV. That's end up. That's what ends up happening with Ned Coletti. Won a few Emmys. <laughs> I think he he helped out in a you know in a uh, operations role for maybe Andrew Friedman's first year. I think he he offered some insight at least. Yeah, I I agree. And yeah, I and, think and he's a good analyst. I think. Yeah, and and the most important thing is he still likes the Dodgers and he still is a part of the Dodgers in some capacity. He doesn't hold any bad blood. Uh, his fingerprints are all over that roster today, the World Series roster, and still this you know 2022 season they'll still be there. Um, like I said before, I, I think he was an elite drafter, an elite evaluator of of talent uh, at that level, of young talent, of young <laughs> talent at that level. Uh, and I think he is in large part has just of a role, a, uh, he's, he's equally as, as responsible for the Dodgers, uh, 2020 world series as Andrew Friedman is. Okay. Well, okay. That's, that's not fair. I, I mean, look, man, Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, Julio Arias, Clayton Kershaw. That's all Ned Coletti. That is literally all Ned Coletti, Justin Turner, Ned Coletti. So yep. look, Friedman built the team. Okay. But, uh, Hold on, hold on. Freeman built the, the, the 2020 team. He kept the guys Ned Coletti did. He built around him. Uh, and they don't win without Friedman. They don't win without the, the complimentary pieces, the Mookie Betts trade, all of that. But they also don't win without Ned Coletti. And I think it's I think it's two sides of the coin, and I think each side is equally responsible for that World Series title. I'm with David 100% on this. I don't think equally is fair. Ned Clay is certainly an important factor, but Andrew Freeman gets most of the credit here. I mean, he, he, yes, because Dave he Roberts, is, you hate Dave. We, we hate on Dave Roberts a lot, but that was his guy. That certainly plays a lot into it, but yes, yeah, no, no, no one is, no one is taking away the amount of influence that Andrew Friedman had on yeah. the 2020 championship. I mean, he, he deserves all the credit in the world. But you don't win that without Ned Coletti. You just don't. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. So then he's basically equally responsible. I mean, well, 50 50. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know I, if it's 50 50. Maybe it's 60 40. But the, looking back, looking back on Ned Coletti's tenure, and I, I cut him a lot of slack um, be, because of the McCourt years. And I applaud him for his creativity not only with the Manny Ramirez trade, the Casey Blake trade, um, but also the creativity, even with the money that he had, that he had from the Guggenheim group to swing that Adrian Gonzalez deal and that Hanley Ramirez deal. Those are some really creative trades that he made. And the, the majority of those trades that he made were really good. The free agent signings are, are, are what kind of did him in. Yep. Um, his free agent signings overall weren't great. But you look at the drafts, you look at the international signings, you look at the trades. Ned Coletti did a damn good job. Absolutely. I think he was an excellent evaluator of position players, but pitchers-wise, other than Kershaw, not so much. Yeah, I agree with that. And Yeah, that's really all I have to say. Thank you, Ned Coletti. I always felt like you were doing your best to put a contender on the field despite some roadblocks during your tenure as the Dodgers general manager. Here's the thing. Here's one last thing I'll say about this is that 
the difference between what we went through with Ned Coletti at the helm versus what we're currently going through with Andrew Friedman is night and day in the sense that every single year that Andrew Friedman is at the helm, you expect to win. And you have a pretty damn good shot at winning it all every single season he's been at the helm. You can't say the same thing for Ned Coletti just because of that 2010, the 2011 season. Um, there are just a few seasons there that were just abysmal under his, under his tenure. So that's one thing that I think Dodgers fans obviously can be excited about every single season and, and somewhat spoiled for is expecting to win every single year. And with Andrew Friedman at the helm, you get that. Yeah. And one other thing I would have loved to see the Guggenheim group and the current owners take over earlier on in Ned Coletti's tenure. Uh, He kind of didn't get a fair shake with McCourt there. His hands were kind of tied for a bit and he still succeeded given what he was able to do financially. uh, And he still was able to put a winning product on the field in eight of his nine seasons, I believe. So, and, and yeah, and to that point, they, the, this group, this current ownership group never would have nixed that CC Sabathia deal. No, nope. ever. Nope. And who knows who else they could have signed? Cliff so, Lee. <laughs> he, yeah. He, he didn't quite get a fair shake for most of his tenure. Uh, but like I said, I, I think he deserves way more credit than he gets for the 2020 world series. And basically, you know, this core group of Dodgers who, is started to break up with Corey Seager's departure, but uh, look, I mean, that's, that's the core. He built the core of this Dodgers team this past five, 10 years. I honestly think hiring Don Mattingly is what killed him. If he didn't hire Don Mattingly, a lot could have gone right for Ned Coletti. Yep. It's probably his biggest mistake, but one coaching hire that I didn't bring up, which I need to address right now. Wasn't Joe Torre. That was his best hiring. It was Rick Honeycutt. Yep. Who was with there from literally the start, 2006 to 2019, I want to say it was his last yep, year. Yeah, it was his last year. And he was probably the biggest influence of how Clayton Kershaw became the pitcher that he became. Loved Rick Honeycutt. Yeah, I was Thought happy he, he was there. Job. I was happy he was there to witness the 2020 World Series mm-hmm. in yep. person. It almost felt like Ned Coletti had to hire Don Mattingly. Just based on what happened in New York after Joe Torre left with the Yankees, because that was sort of assumed that Don Mattingly would move up and take over. And they decide to go, they, they went with Joe Girardi, didn't they? Yep. So it was sort of like, okay, so now Joe Torre's in LA. He brings Mattingly over to be the hitting coach and then the bench coach, um, or maybe he wasn't the bench coach, but I know he was the hitting coach. And then it sort of was like, okay, so it didn't happen in New York. Now it has to happen in LA. So I, I, I don't know the inner workings of what went on, but that sort of feels like it factored into Don Mattingly taking over. You want to do out of left fields real quick? Yeah, oh yeah. We, we, we wanted to give you two minutes, right, David? <laughs> yeah. So, all right. For everybody listening, I don't know if you saw this yesterday on Twitter, but the real FRG dude, the Clint of Dodgers nation who I don't care about Dodgers nation. I don't really pay attention to them. Uh, I don't have anything truly against them. My my qualm is with this asshole. So he posted a, a thing on his podcast. Basically, he called us, the incline, cucks, 
and tried to make a joke like, oh, what are the incline kids up to? Oh, I mean, decline kids. Okay. So first of all, that is one of the most unfunny things I've ever heard in my entire life. You suck at humor. You are not funny and you're just bad. Secondly, why do you think you're like something special? I, I, I mean, once again, I don't know how many times I got to reiterate this. You aren't special. You are just another dude talking about baseball. The three of us do this for fun. We like to talk about the Dodgers and you continuously try to make it, make you seem like you're something special. And frankly, Clint, you're not, you are just some lardo bum, talentless, nobody. You are a nobody and you think you're special. So basically all I have to say is anytime you want to talk to me about anything one-on-one, let's do it. I'll donate a, uh, some kind of money to a charity of your choice. We'll go one-on-one about any topic you want on Zoom anytime you want. Come find me. I'm happy to debate you on anything. I don't like you. I think you suck. You're not funny, and you're trash. Thank you very much. And if you didn't know about any of that, I'm sorry you had to listen to that too minutes. <laughs> but this guy's been a thorn in our, in our side for no apparent reason for the last couple years. Uh, I guess he just doesn't like that we also have a Dodgers podcast and talk to Dodgers players, which he seem, he's, doesn't seem to have the ability to do besides one. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening to my little spiel. Uh, I said the things that my two co-hosts are too nice to say. Uh, I could have been a lot meaner, but this is kind of a family show, I guess, so I'll keep it at that. The only thing I'll add is that what's weird is that the three of us never bring them up on our podcast ever. And so it was kind of surprising that they decided to take an unnecessary jab at us for literally no, no reason. Nope. Um, so for all of you that are maybe just hearing this, they, <laughs> they struck first. So this is, I guess, our response to that. Yeah. And also he, he asked, where are they? when he's blocked me and Kevin. So could you have a more cowardly move than that to talk crap on your podcast, ask where they are as if you didn't block us. If you're going to do it, say it with your chest. Rent free. My out of left field. It's been like a year now. I feel like since I've done one of these, about to do more of these. So I didn't know this was, this was a movie. Obviously there's the Kurt Warner movie coming out. That might be bad. Maybe it's good. I like the guy they casted. But this is another football movie that I didn't know was in the works until like two days ago when I saw the trailer. It's a Sean Payton movie, which is fine. I think the premise is that year where he was suspended because of the... Headhunting? The headhunting, yeah. And so he's like coaching Little League or something. But that's not what's bothered. That's not, that's not what's bothering me. It's who they casted to play Sean Payton. Kevin oh, James, yeah. <laughs> yeah. who looks nothing like Sean Payton, first of all. Not, a, not only facial-wise, but body type. I mean, Sean Payton, for the most part, he was an NFL quarterback for a little bit. He still looks like he's in good shape overall. You got Kevin James, who is overweight, known for playing the mall cop about a decade ago. Well, hey, let's, let's put some respect on King of Queens. That was a funny show. This has nothing to do with the acting. Okay. But when you have a biopic, you usually have someone that looks like you. And oftentimes it's in real life. They're kind of ugly. 
And so they cast someone that looks kind of good looking to portray you. To me, this is the reverse effects. Sean Payton is getting downgraded in looks by having Kevin James play him. And I know that I think Adam Sandler's production company is behind this. So there's obviously some bias. I don't know if they consulted with Payton who to play him. But if I'm Sean Payton right now, I got to be furious because one, I don't want a comic to play me, a comedian to play me. And two, ugh, like, <laughs> oh, not him. I'm just confused about why they're making this movie to begin with. Why is this a movie? Who wants to see that movie? Does anybody want to see that movie? There's so many other better stories that they could do. Yeah, I mean, what the hell is that? I actually think they kind of look similar, but Jake, do you got one? Uh, I don't really have one off the top of my head now, but I, I appreciate what you guys brought to the table. And I and and if we're and if we're gonna bring this segment back, which I think we should on a regular basis, I'm definitely down for it. Okay. I'll I think I'll just keep what I said as my out of left field, even though I have a really good one, but I'll save that for next week. Okay. All right. I think on that note, it's a good t- it's a good time to sign off. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Incline Dodgers. Help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter. Our Twitter handles are in the description below. And follow the podcast on Twitter as well, at the Incline Pod. With that, you'll hear from us next week. We'll cover Hall of Fame talk and some other, other various random subjects. But on that note, everyone have a good weekend. We're signing off. Go Dodgers. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.